Oh my goodness. Tonight I'm teaching on fear. Lesson 12 in our Bible study. And Tom and Fran and the, the ministry team were, were at our home on Sunday. We get together occasionally just to have a, a time to talk to one another in fellowship. And, and they shared their testimony. And I said, oh, Tom and Fran, you've got to share right before I teach on fear because it's so applicable to exactly what God's word says. This, this we're going to break up into two parts. Tonight we're going to talk about the, the, what God's word says about the two opposing spiritual forces, faith, which is of God, and fear, which is of the enemy. Next week, I'm going to be sharing very practical teaching called Fear Proofing Your Life, things that you can do, actions that you can take to fight fear and not to receive it. The same kinds of things that Fran and Tom did with Brandon and Sarah but that's what I'll be teaching next week. So let's start right now with the lesson purpose. We've established the importance of standing in faith in God and in his word. We've learned how to build up our faith through saying and thus hearing God's promises about healing. We know that faith is believing what we don't yet see or feel in our body or with our senses. And that in order to receive answers to our prayers, we must pray in faith. Faith is a powerful spiritual force, a way to access the very hand of God. But fear is also a very real spiritual force, the opposite force of faith. Fear is not of God. It is Satan's destructive power. The purpose of this lesson is to clearly contrast faith and fear and to tell you some really good news. God provides all that we need in order to stand up to, to the destructive force of fear and to rid ourselves of this negative spiritual force. We have authority as believers. Amen. So this starts the third big piece of our Bible study, and that is the enemy is the bad guy. But we have authority. He has already been defeated, and we have authority over him, just like Fran and Tom just shared. We have authority. So what we're going to look at first, foundation one, is a list of scriptures about faith. We're going to look at God's description of faith in these scriptures. There are many, many more than these, but we're just going to take a snapshot of God's revelation to us about faith. And then we're going to do the same thing about fear. But the good news is when God talks about fear, he just doesn't say, oh, this is really bad. This is the enemy. He doesn't say that at all. Like Tom said, he lovingly shows us how to beat fear, how to use our authority so that fear has no power over us. So let's start right now with Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1, 1, which is God's like dictionary defin- definition of faith, his biblical dictionary definition. Foundation 1, the little paragraph at the top, says faith is God's creative power. That's the title here, God's creative power. It's not just a thing that we have. When we are faith-filled, it's not because of us. It's because he is faithful, and we know it. And we have confidence in him because of his faithfulness. And when we are in faith, and we speak his words, and we're we're in agreement with him, his power is literally manifest in our lives. In Isaiah um, 55, it talks about 
the, the truth that the words that we speak don't return void. But God uh, uh, accomplishes them. There's power. There's creative power in faith being spoken. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, the definition. And I'm going to read it from the Amplified Translation today. Now faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof of the things we do not see, and conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. So God's definition of faith, first of all, has lots of absolutes. It says it's a title deed. A title deed is pretty for um, final, right? If you have a title deed, you have a, the finality. That's yours. If you have a title deed on your home, it's yours. You own it. God said that faith means you own it. You own that thing that you're believing that is in his word, that is his promise. It says it's the proof. In the other translation, it says it's the substance. The proof the substance of the things that we hope for. Hope. The biblical meaning of the word hope is that big expectation. That, that stirring in you. That isn't just a I wish that would happen or that would be nice. But that expectation that you have because you know the goodness of God. But then the last line here is critical. And it says that faith is perceiving what you don't already see in your senses. It's outside of what you see in the natural realm. It's believing what you don't see. It's believing what you don't feel. It's believing what you don't hear. They heard something from that doctor. And the fear set in. But when faith rose up, faith said, No, God's promise says, I believe that I have natural childbirth, healthy and whole, this baby is going to be born. But it was outside of this realm of the senses. But what I want to say, and I've just been really thinking about this this week, meditating on it, and that is that you don't have to ignore the stuff or say it's not there. If there is pain, if there are symptoms, if there is something in, your, in front of your face, that doesn't mean that you don't see it. It's there. But faith means that even though it is there in your face, even though it is there in your body, in your senses, in your mind, wherever, you believe God anyway. You choose to believe God anyway. I think at times we think that we should be able to have our focus so on God that we don't even recognize those other things. But we're human. And God gave us senses as well. But faith is, even though you do see those things, even though you do feel them, you say, I trust you, God. I trust you, God. And the words that you speak and that you continue to speak are where the power is. We're going to go there in a minute. Would you turn with, actually, I don't have to turn. Hebrews eleven six. It's right on the same page. The next point, and what I want you to be doing, I should have already said this, is to take notes in your book if you have it in front of you. And if you've already taken notes, take more. You want to see my book? <laughs> it's so full of notes. I can, well, I, I'm pretty good at reading it, but there's a lot of notes in there, and I keep adding. I added more today. I've been teaching this Bible study for like eight years, and I'm still, God's giving me revelation, and I'm still 
It's awesome. So Hebrews 11:6. Take notes. What is God showing you in the scripture? Without faith, it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. God says without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please. But turn that around. With faith, God is pleased. For whoever... Sorry, I'm having... Okay, got to get a better light. So, for whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists. For whoever would, would have a promise of God from his word, we need to believe that that word is truth and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him. We don't do, we don't do faith. That's a terrible word. We don't seek to have faith for the reward, but that's a byproduct. Sarah and and Brandon got their desire, their heart's desire. They had that baby supernaturally and without a C-section. 11-pound baby born naturally, that's supernaturally. (laughs) But let's go back to the next, to the previous chapter. So that that verse said, it's impossible to please God without faith. But look at what this one says. Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. Hmm. God's saying, don't throw away your confidence. When that thing comes that says, you know, like, like it did with Sarah, that's not what I've been believing for. God says, don't throw away your confidence. When Pam had that bad report after a good one, God says, Pam, don't throw away your confidence. For you have need of steadfast patience and endurance so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God and then receive and carry away and joy to the full what is promised. Isn't that good? God says, be patient, be steadfast, don't give up, don't turn away, don't stop at the finish line. For still a little while, a very little while, and the coming one will come and he will not delay. Now this is talking about Jesus coming, but it's, I believe it's also talking about Jesus coming for what your need is today. But that, but the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith faith my righteous one my righteous child that's you if you're a believer shall live by his conviction respecting man's relationship to god and divine things and holy fervor born of faith and conjoined with it and if he draws back and shrinks in fear my soul has no delight or pleasure in him So let me break that one down because that's got a lot of words in that scripture. If you take out the part that's in the parentheses, that part that's in the parentheses is defining faith. Faith is when we live with conviction. That means we're convinced in God. And we have a holy fervor as a result. (laughs) Tom and Fran definitely have a holy fervor. But take that out of there for a minute. It's a little easier to understand. But the just shall live by faith. And if he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. So God wants us to have faith. He says, when you have fear, I'm I'm not pleased. 
Tom's heart was breaking when he saw his daughter-in-law and his son in fear. That's God. When we're in fear, that's an that's a, a image of God when we're in fear. But we're in, when we're in faith, he's pleased. Um, was I going to do one more verse? I think that was the last one. Go to the next screen. I just want to see. Yes, I want to do one more verse. But our way is not that of those who draw back. Oh, I love it. I, of course, we have to do this. That's not us. We're not going to draw back in fear. Our way, believers, believing believers, is not to draw back to eternal misery or perdition and, we are, and be utterly destroyed. But we are of those who believe who cleave to and trust in and rely on God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and by faith preserve the soul. Fear is part of the soul. Faith is part of the, faith is part of the soul because it's part of our, our, our believing. It's part of our heart. So is fear. God says, preserve your soul. Stay in faith. And that last verse is us, our way. Would you say that with me? That's my way. That's my way. I'm not going to draw back in fear and be destroyed because I believe, I trust in, and I rely on God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And by faith, my soul is preserved. Amen. Amen. Turn to Romans chapter 14. We're talking about faith right now. Romans 14, verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Now this scripture goes back to the day, the culture, the day of Jesus' when he was alive. And the law, according to the law, there were very specific rules according about what you ate and when you ate it and what you didn't eat. But when this was written, when Paul wrote this, he knew that the law was, was gone and that there was, there was the new covenant of grace. We're going to talk more about grace in just a minute. Now, if the first line says, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. That's not God who condemns. That's you who condemning yourself. That's you're who, you who are receiving condemnation. We taught about that last week, that that's a lie. But where I really want to go is this last line after the semicolon. It says, for whatever is not from faith is sin. Whatever is not from faith is sin. We're talking about faith and fear today. When I first learned this truth, it really changed my perspective. Because I thought, especially being a mother... I thought worrying was important as a good mama. You were supposed to worry. Worry is a lack of faith. And according to God, it's sin. When I started to get that perspective, my whole, I, it just changed the way that I deal with, with things with my kids. Instead of worrying, I still love them. Oh my gosh, I love them. 
And I still pray for them and speak over them and speak blessings over them and pray God's word over them and talk to them. But I don't worry. God says, don't worry. He's got a better way. Anything that is not a faith is sin. So according to this, fear is not a faith. So fear is sin. Hmm. Mark 11. Mark 11. Starting with verse 22. Very familiar scripture about faith. This is probably the the core scripture in God's word about faith. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. First thing I want to point out is that in, the, in verse 23 it says, if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe. There's a difference between doubting in your mind and doubting in your heart. We're going to talk about the difference in just a minute. Just hold on to that. But this scripture says, um, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says then he will have whatever he says. And then the very next verse says, verse 24, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. That word receive in the original language is actually have taken. Believe that you have taken them. Let me read it that way. It says, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have taken them and you will have them. Believe that you have taken them and you will have them. It's an it's a, it's a, it's a action that we're taking this gift. God's giving it to us and we're taking it, believing it, receiving it. And we're going to go to one more scripture and then I'm going to kind of tie these two scriptures together, but turn to James right now, chapter 1. We're going to talk about that doubting thing because we're talking about faith today. And Mark 11 says, believe without doubting in your heart and you will receive. So let's talk about doubting. James 1, verse 6 through 8. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. That scripture is always like so harsh. It's like, I don't like that one. Let's take that one out of the Bible. But it's God's word. So we're leaving it in there and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to, I'm going to make a statement right now and I'm going to explain it. You, I believe that you can have doubt in your mind with faith in your heart. How many of you in the midst of your journey, when you've seen something in front of your face or when you felt something in your body, you know God's word is true, but boy, do those doubts get in your head. Yeah. Yeah. And if that were the case, nobody would ever receive. 
Sarah wouldn't have had that, that supernatural childbirth if that moment of doubt or that moment of fear canceled out her faith. But it didn't because she had faith in her heart. Yes, she had fear in her mind. She had doubt in her mind. But she had faith that had been deposited for nine months in her heart. I believe you can have doubt in your mind and still have faith in your heart. And Pam, I believe that you have faith in your heart. You know, in your letter that you wrote, you said, I didn't have any faith. It was so weak. Seeds have been sown in your heart. They're there. They are there. I want to talk about double-mindedness. This is my definition of double-mindedness. I believe double-mindedness is when you speak both the promise and the problem a lot. And you've all probably maybe done this or maybe seen people who've done it where they know God's word and they speak God's word, but they also know the problem and they talk about it all the time. Because what you're doing when you speak both is you're feeding yourself both. You're feeding yourself faith because you're speaking God's word. So you're feeding your faith, but you're also feeding the fear. You're also feeding the problem. And that's double-minded. You're being tossed to and fro. And God says, in that case, don't expect to receive. But words are equal to words. Thoughts are equal to thoughts. But words are way more powerful than thoughts. So if you're speaking God's truth and a doubt comes to you and it's, it's, it's in your head and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing everything you can do to get it out of your head and take that thought captive, but it's there, but you're still speaking God's word, that doubt does not have life. You have not given it life. You, have not given, it's, you haven't received it into your heart. It might be in your head, but you haven't received it into your heart. As you grow in, in faith, like I keep using these guys for an example because it's such a good example, like Faith and Brandon did where they spoke and spoke for nine months over, their, over this, this event. It was deep in their heart. And that one episode of doubt or that one time, and it was, it was a big deal. It wasn't a little deal. It was a big deal. But it wasn't enough to put them into having doubt in their heart. So double-mindedness, it's when you speak both the problem and the promise. Okay, so would you go now to the next slide, and you're going to see that the heading is going to change because we're going to change from faith to fear. And we're going to talk about fear, but we're going to talk about it from God's perspective. First of all, I want to let you know that God talks about fear. He says, do not fear 365 times in the word. Isn't that amazing? 365 times, one for every day of the year. He does it with love. He does it with direction. He does it with a way to avoid it. He doesn't just say, oh boy, here comes fear. That's not what God does. This is what he does. Turn to... Proverbs 29, 25. This is an additional scripture, so you need to add it to your Bible study. 
Proverbs 29, 25. And do the same thing. In your book, take notes on what God tells us, what God's showing you about fear. Verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. But whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. The fear of man brings a snare. It's a trap. It's the bait. And that's what happened with with Sarah and Brandon. The doctor gave a report. And the fear of man, it was like a snare. It was like a trap. But whoever leans on trusts in and puts their confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. So yeah, fear is, fear is there. It's like a trap. It's like a snare. But God says when you trust in him, you are, you are protected. You are safe. You are set on high. The next scripture is Isaiah 35. Verse 4. Be strong. Do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Isn't that good news? God, first of all, he says, be strong and don't fear. And then he says what he's going to do. He's our Calvary. He's our, our, our daddy. He's there to just take care of the problem for us. I love the words, and I looked these up. Um, the first one is vengeance. And when I looked it up, if it would have said, if the Bible would have said, behold, your God will come in vengeance, it means something completely different than what this says. This says with vengeance. If he were to come in vengeance, it means he's going to come with a lot of fervor, and he's like, oh, boy, I'm not going to let my baby girl be hurt. That's good enough, but that's not what it says. It says he comes with vengeance. Now, let me tell you what vengeance is. Punishment inflicted or retaliation for injury. God's not going to let his kids be harmed. And not only is he not going to let them be harmed, this says he's going to come and he's going to retaliate for any injury that that enemy tried to do. I looked, I mean, I had this, and I used a dictionary. I had this dictionary, and I'm looking at all the meanings, I'm thinking, God, are you sure? <laughs> he didn't say he's coming in vengeance. I looked it up in the concordance, too. It says he com- he's coming with vengeance. And then it says that he will recompense. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Recompense means return for something suffered. Return for something suffered. And what I've seen over time is that he gives you more than you ask. So much more. When, that, when I got the picture from Fran on the um, telephone, on my text, I told her this, and I probably shouldn't even say this because it sounds like Cindy has no faith. But I'm going to tell you because it shows how big God is. When I looked at that picture, it was 4.30 in the morning, and I got a text, and I went and got my glasses, and I said, I got to see because I knew the baby was born. And I got up and I looked at it. And Kent, Kent's still in bed next to me. And I said, we have a baby. We have a baby. And I looked at the picture and I said, 
oh, I think she had a C-section. This baby's too perfect to have been delivered. And she told me it was 11 pounds. <laughs> she didn't tell me whether it was natural or C-section on the, on the text. And when I saw 11 pounds and I saw that perfect baby, I thought, oh, I bet, it, I bet she ended up having to have a C-section. But God more than took care of it. He, with recompense, you know, return for something suffered above and beyond what we could ever ask or dream or expect. You know, he was the, he was the, the, the uh, star of the nursery. <laughs> hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, turn to Habakkuk 3. Good luck finding it. <laughs> if you go right in your Bible and flip the pages kind of slow, it's at the very end of the, not the very end, but near the end of the Old Testament. I found it. If you can't find it, you can just read it on the screen. But you might want to open your Bible because this is really yummy. This is like my favorite, I think, of all of the fierce scriptures. Starting with verse 17. Though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no fruit on the vines, though the product of the olive fails and the field yields no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no cattle in the stalls, yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the victorious God of my salvation. I'm not going to go on yet. I want you to look at those two verses. The first verse is like bad news, bad report, um, lack, problems, bad news. The first word of the next scripture says, yet... Anyway, I don't care what I see, yet I choose to rejoice and exult in the victorious God of my salvation. And they're speaking of victory. This, this, this uh, prophet, I think, is Habakkuk a prophet? He's saying, I rejoice in the victory of my king, even though I see junk, even though I don't have what I need. I see the victorious king and i rejoice in him i know my victory i know my inheritance i know the promises and i rejoice in the victory hasn't had the victory yet in the scripture and then the next verse goes even deeper the lord god is my strength my personal bravery and my invincible army that's good news i would write that on a card and keep it in front of me and every time you have fear attacking you say oh no the Lord God is my strength. He's my personal bravery. He's my invincible army. He makes my feet like hinds feet and will make me to walk, not stand still in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, or responsibility. It says he, he, he compares um, himself to the hind. The hind is another name for the deer. And it says, he makes my feet like hind's feet. The hind, the deer, has very unusual gait. Instead of walking like most animals do, where, where they, they're walking alternately, wherever their front feet plant and are sure-footed, their back feet go in exactly the same footprints as their front feet. They're very sure-footed. God says... 
that he makes my feet like that so that I'm sure-footed. And that when you're in that place of, of the unknown, of the problem, of the fear, uh, I shouldn't say the fear, of the attack of fear, God says he will make me to walk. Now, he doesn't say run. He doesn't say to fly through it. He says, but you will walk and you will make spiritual progress. You're not going to stand still in terror. You're not going to stand still in fear. And when Sarah was in that place, when she had people stand and come alongside her, and that's going to be part of next week's teaching, the importance of having somebody with you. But when you have somebody like that, you make progress and you can do it without somebody, but it's easier if you have help. (laughs) And that's why we're here. So you do have help. So you make spiritual progress even on that high mountain, even when you're rock climbing in that, that, that situation you're in with trouble or suffering or responsibility because God's there. He's victorious. You have your victory. You have your victory. Thank you, Jesus. Turn to John 14, please. These are all scriptures where Jesus is teaching us when we're in fear, what he does for us, what he does with us. Oh, this is another good one. Jesus is speaking, and this is what he says. Peace I leave with you. My own peace I now give and bequeath to you. The word bequeath means he leaves it to us in his will. Jesus was walking on this earth in a ministry as a man, as a human man, fully human, fully God. And he died. Of course, he raised from the dead. But he left us a will. He bequeathed us peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Worry is from the world. Fear is from the world. That fear that rose up in Sarah and Brandon was from the world. It was from the words of the world. Jesus said, not as the world do I give. And then he gives us a direction. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Stop allowing yourselves. That's a big one. Stop allowing yourselves to be agitated and disturbed and do not permit yourselves to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. I use the Amplified because it just expanded that in such a great way. So first Jesus says, I give you peace. Here it is. I give it to you. It's yours, part of grace. And then he says, don't receive fear. Don't permit yourself. Don't buy it so we have a choice and again next week i'm going to share how actions you can take to do what fran and tom and brandon and sarah did and to say no to fear and stay in that place of faith second timothy 1 7 two more scriptures about fear second timothy 1 7 love this one For God has not given us a spirit of fear. What did he give us? Power and love and a sound mind. God is not the author of fear. Who is? Yep. It doesn't come from God. But but the good news is he gives us everything we need to fight it. 
And here he gives us three great big things. He gives us power. The power of the Holy Spirit within us and upon us. Oh, yeah. If you have questions about the Holy Spirit, ask us. If you have questions about the infilling of the Holy Spirit within you and upon you, because that is an amazing benefit. When I was fighting cancer, I was filled with the Holy Spirit about two months after I was diagnosed. And that is when my faith skyrocketed. I had power to fight fear. Power from the Holy Spirit. We have the love of God that casts out fear. When you know his love for you, it literally, he, he doesn't have love for us. He is love. And when you know God and you know love, fear can't stay. We'll talk more about that next week. So we have the Holy Spirit's power. We have Abba Father's love. And then soundness of mind. Soundness of mind from knowing the word of God. And knowing Jesus, the word made flesh. So this is a whole package. This is a trinity God gives us everything, everything, everything. The power of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Father, the soundness of mind of the Word. Of course, we need to receive it, and that's why you're here. You are receiving it. And the last scripture is Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. I love this scripture. <laughs> I'm going to start like halfway through after the comma in verse 5. It says, and I'm again reading from the Amplified. I read in my, um, my little notes at the bottom, and it says that in the original language, three negatives preceded the verb, I will not. And this is in the original language, three negatives preceded the verb and that's why the amplified translates it this way this is god i will not um sorry okay here i am i will not in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support i will not i will not i will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake nor let you down nor relax my hold on you Assuredly not. Huh. Take that to the bank. <laughs> so we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? What can that report do to me? What can that doctor's report do to me? What can, what can that do to me? Look at what my God says. He says, he will not, he will not, he will not in any way leave me helpless or forsake me or let me down or relax his hold on me. Assuredly not. Wow. 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 Will you read the first, the first verse with me and read it as if God's talking to you right now. For God himself has said i will not in any way fail you 
nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake, nor let you down. Relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If you're in the middle of a battle right now, let God speak that to you. Read it out loud. Let God tell that to you over and over and over again. Okay. We're going to do just a little bit more and then we're going to close. There's a little chart right here, Foundation 3. And what it does basically is it shows the parallel between faith and fear. And we're just going to quickly go through this little chart. This is something you can kind of read on your own, but I'm just going to quickly go through it. Um, in my book, like I said, I have a zillion notes. Next to the word faith at the top, you know, at the, in the heading, I wrote the word authority. And next to the word fear, I wrote the word oppression. Oppression is unjust authority, the enemy. So faith is our authority. Fear is oppression. The first, the first uh, line says faith, it says moves God, but I cross that out. <laughs> God's already moved. Faith receives from God. Faith receives from God because faith is in God. And fear receives from Satan because fear is in Satan. Faith is a spiritual force and so is fear, but it's negative, it's demonic. Faith is God's creative power. Fear is Satan's destructive power. We've seen that in the scriptures that we've looked at today. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's based on Hebrews 11.1. 1. Fear is the substance of things not desired. Fear. It still can be, have, it can still have proof. Fear can have proof. Fear can have evidence. Fear can have substance. When it is fed, and that's what we're going to talk about next on the same chart. Fear also has substance. The next one says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Fear also comes by hearing, but it comes by hearing the words of the world. The words of the enemy. And when those words are spoken, fear rises up. When God's word is spoken... Faith rises up. Faith is developed as we meditate on God's word. The scripture that I just, that we had up there about um, God saying with such, a, such authority, I'm not ever going to leave you. I'm never, ever going to leave you nor forsake you. No matter what, never, ever, ever. As you speak that more and more and more and more, it is deposited as truth, as absolute knowing that God is never going to leave you. Faith is developed as you meditate on his word, but so is fear. It's developed as you meditate on the problem. As you speak about the problem, as you 
tell everybody about the problem, as you worry and let that just stir in your mind and in your heart and in your mouth and in your, and in your actions, fear is developed the same way that faith is developed. Faith is applied by calling those things which are not as though they were. That's Romans 4.17. Let me, let me um, simplify that a little bit. Faith, when we call those things that are not, we're speaking it out loud. So, for example, um, Tom made a comment that probably some of you were like, ah, that doesn't make sense. He said that they were believing for a pain-free childbirth. He was speaking something that is not. That's not typical. Not very many women have pain-free childbirth. It is possible. I know people who have had gone through without uh, epidural, without meds, without any anesthesia, and had no pain. So it, it's not impossible. It is part of God's blessing. If you know it, there's a wonderful book called Supernatural Childbirth, and that's part of the, what, what the prayers and the scriptures help you to grow in your faith for. But faith is applied when we speak out loud about what isn't. So in my case, I had a diagnosis of stage 4 cancer. And I spoke to my body and I said, no, I refuse that diagnosis. I don't, I give, I don't give it any right. I refuse to receive it. I know that the doctor says it's there. I know that it's in there. But I refuse to accept it and receive it. I denied its right to exist in my body. So I was calling something that was not health, no cancer, as though it were. I was speaking it. But the opposite is also true. As we speak the negative, it comes to pass. Fear is applied by speaking about things that you're worried about. And often it's things that aren't even there. And you're calling them to existence the same way that we do in faith. When I had stage 4 cancer, I didn't have health in my body. I was calling it into my body. Many times people call sickness into their body unknowingly. They don't have it. But they say, that runs in my family. Heart disease runs in my family. I've known people who say everybody in my family has died before they were 40 of a heart attack. I will too. They're speaking of what isn't and they're calling it in. Voicing your faith, this isn't on your chart, voicing your faith cancels out fear. But voicing your fear cancels out faith. And the last one on the chart, Jesus is the author and the developer of our faith. And the enemy, Satan, is the author and the developer of fear. And that's based on Hebrews 12, 2. And this is the last thing we're going to do. This is on page 30 of your, I'm sorry, 80 <laughs> of your Bible study. Facts about fear and faith. Satan cannot do anything to us apart from fear. Any more than God can do something for us apart from faith. God needs us to choose. Yes, he's sovereign. But the way that he has created mankind. He's given us choice. He's given us free will. He's given us a voice. 
And as we voice his promises, as we voice our desires, he has um, the, the, the ability to just give it to us, pour it out. In order for Satan to have an effect in our life, fear must be present. If fear is not present, he can't have an effect in our life. Wow. In order for Satan to have an effect in your life, fear must be present. The next one. If you tolerate fear, you contaminate faith. Number three, fear has to be received before it can enter the heart and stop faith. And by received, we mean take it, receive it, believe it instead of believing God. And the last one, fear becomes doubt and unbelief only when it is acted upon. And that's mostly through your voice. When you speak it out and you talk about it. The last thing I'm going to say before we um, turn on a, a song is the consistency of what you receive is very important. And if you're not receiving consistent messages from the, about from God's word and about God's word, you're always going to be consistent if you're reading his word. But the teaching of his word, if it's not consistent, it can cause confusion and lead to fear. The enemy is the author of confusion. He's also the author of fear. So confusion can lead to double-mindedness and fear. And I'm just going to be point blank and say this. There are many, many people who don't believe that it's always God's will to heal. There are many people that question the goodness of God. I don't. God is good, period. Period. And if you are in un, under teaching that questions the goodness of God and you're, you're receiving teaching about the goodness of God, that's conflicting. And it causes confusion. And that can lead to big questions and doubts and fear. <laughs>